What up, family? It's episode 129 of The Genius Life. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. I'm so excited to bring you this episode of the show in which I welcome a true luminary in the field of photodynamic therapy and photobiomodulation. Dr. Michael Hamblin is a principal investigator at Wellman Center for Photomedicine at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he's an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. He's the editor of the medical journal, photobiomodulation, photomedicine, and laser surgery. And he himself has actually published over 600 papers in peer-reviewed journals worldwide. So this is the expert in all things light therapy, and I'm excited to do a deep dive. I have to admit that when I first became aware of this technology um, and saw it sort of popping up in the wellness community, I was highly skeptical. And you guys know, if you have spent any time listening to my podcast or following me on Instagram or have read any of my books, that I don't jump on bandwagons. I just don't. But after talking to many of my uh, most educated friends, doing a deep dive into the liter literature myself, and after having this conversation with Dr. Hamblin, who, as I mentioned, is you know one of the leading experts on this topic, I um, have to admit that the argument is very compelling that light truly is a form of medicine. And over the next hour, we're going to talk specifically about red and near-infrared light, which is the type of light that... Um, you see sometimes panels made by companies like Juve uh, emit. That type of light seemingly has profound benefits, and we're going to talk about the many potential benefits to skin, to hair, to brain tissue, um, to your cardiovascular system, to essentially every organ in your body um, can potentially benefit from this light therapy, which is just astonishing to me. So, one of the most interesting chats that I've had to date on the show, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by my good friends at Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley make a line of super delicious beef sticks that are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished that you can conveniently throw into your purse, throw into your car, throw into your backpack whenever you want a delicious and nourishing snack on the go. Their flavors are so on point. You can go for their original variety. They also have a teriyaki variety that is gluten-free. They have a jalapeno flavor. They have uh, a garlic flavor, a summer sausage flavor, really um, whatever it is that your palate is desiring. Paleo Valley has an option for you. And again, the beef comes from cows that are fed grass for the entirety of their lives. You're getting 100% grass-fed, grass-finished products that um, are sustainably produced and good for the planet, good for you. If you'd like to save 15% off of anything that Paleo Valley has to offer, go to paleovalley.com slash max, and you'll get to save some cheddar that you can then put towards, I don't know, buying a, you know, a new book or anything else that your heart desires. So that's paleovalley.com slash max. Definitely try out their stuff. I'm a huge fan and uh, I wouldn't let them sponsor the podcast if I wasn't. So paleovalley.com slash max, save 15% off. Thank you guys. 
This episode is also sponsored by Juve. Dr. Michael Hamblin is on the advisory board to the company Juve, and Juve makes uh, some of the highest quality red and near-infrared light panels um, that I am familiar with. They gifted me my own panel, and I've been using it um, multiple times a week, almost every day. And I got to admit, I feel uh, great after doing it. It's It emits a very warming light. Um, and I, I actually feel, I mean, it's totally anecdotal, but I feel like it makes my skin look more tan, um, even though it's not emitting any of the uh, kinds of rays that would tan you. It definitely gives my skin a nice glow. And I also feel, again, totally anecdotally that I have like a pump after using it, like almost like I've just had sort of like a light workout, like done a few push-ups or something like that. It's super, super interesting. Um, you're going to learn all about the science underlying Juve technology over the course of the next hour, but needless to say, they've been very generous to uh, give listeners of my show a wonderful gift. So if you'd like to pick up a Juve device, all you got to do is go to Juve, J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Genius Life and apply my exclusive code Genius Life to your qualifying order to get a free gift with your purchase. Exclusions apply, limited time only, but definitely go and check them out. Again, that's juve, J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Genius Life and use code Genius Life to get a free gift on your qualifying order for a limited time. All right, guys, we're just seconds away from this chat with Dr. Michael Hamlin talking all things light medicine. Fascinating chat. Before we dive in, please take a moment to join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. Just for doing that, I'm going to send you a PDF list of 12 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function. You got some of the usual suspects on there like fish oil, but then there's 11 others that might surprise you. So sign up for my newsletter, check out that list. And um, also I send out uh, can't miss podcast episodes, updates on my projects, science that I feel has the potential to um, improve your life and many other uh, important tidbits. And you can opt out at any time. No pressure, no questions asked. Um, I don't give your email information to anybody else. Your privacy is 100% respected. Um, and so I would love to connect with you via that, via the newsletter. Already got thousands of people all around the world that are deriving solid benefit from that. Um, would love to have you on there as well. Also, feel free to text me the word genius at 310-299-9401 to join my text message community. If you're truly on board this genius train, you got to be on all the things. You got to be on the newsletter. You got to be on the text message community. I got lots of cool things coming out for true fans of the show. I can't unveil yet, but uh, needless to say, you guys are going to be super psyched. Um, and I just love to be in touch with you. So... Yeah. Thank you guys. And what else? Yeah, that's it. Now, without further ado, here's Dr. Michael Hamblin, expert in all things light therapy, light medicine, uh, also has a funny accent. You're going to love this. Strap on your seatbelts. Let's roll. Dr. Michael Hamblin, thank you so much for being on my show, The Genius Life. It's fine to be here. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to have this conversation with you because you have seemingly dedicated your life to the study of light therapy. Is that correct? Right. Yes, absolutely. Not only to healing, restoring, and stimulating with light, but also to killing nasty things such as cancers and bacteria and viruses with light. That's an exciting idea. That light could be a form of medicine. Um, so why don't you, for just for me and, and my listeners' sake, uh, you know, to start things off, why don't you give us a little bit of a, of a background on yourself and, um, and how you got into this topic? 
Okay, so uh, I did my PhD in synthetic organic chemistry and you know, used to uh, make molecules, sometimes quite fancy molecules. Um, and after a few years of making molecules, I got interested in the idea of making photosensitizer molecules. So these photosensitizer molecules are deeply colored dyes and Quite often they have large and complex structures such as porphyrins and thalassinines and phenothiazinium salts and a whole range of structures. And the motivation for synthesizing these is that you can shine light on them and use them to kill things. So these dyes will can be designed to bind to all sorts of biological structures such as cancer cells, bacteria, fungi, viruses, and when you shine light on the complex of the dye and its target, you generate reactive oxygen species, which kill them, basically. You can kill pretty much anything that lives with what we call photodynamic therapy. PDT is the, is the name this, this approach goes by. So I was happily going along doing this PDT and killing cancers and curing infections and doing all these cool things. But, you know, pretty soon you need to do light alone controls. It's part of the scientific approach. So instead of combining the light and the dye, you just use the light alone. And what you quickly realize is it does exactly the opposite of the PDT. So you don't kill hardly anything at all. And not only do you not kill things, but you actually stimulate and heal things and regenerate tissue and relieve pain and relieve inflammation. And you do all this beneficial stuff, which is like the opposite of the PDT stuff. You know, so I have a talk entitled, Can All Diseases Be Treated with Light? And by judiciously choosing whether to use PDT or the light alone, which we call photobiomodulation, then you probably can treat all diseases with light. That is a, that is a fascinating proposition. Um, what is, how would you define photobiomodulation? Well, photobiomodulation, as I say, uses the light alone. You don't use any photosensitizing dyes. And the overall aim is to heal, regenerate, stimulate, relieve pain, relieve inflammation, improve the function of all sorts of internal organs, including organs that are not commonly thought to see any light such as the heart and the brain and the liver and the kidneys there, deep inside the body, but by shining red or near-infrared light on the body, not only can you, you know, help the skin, help the muscles, help superficial structures, but it turns out you can also beneficially affect all the organs of the body. And... A lot of people say, well, okay, but the light doesn't penetrate deep in the body. Even if you use red or near-infrared light, which, you know, is thought to penetrate reasonably well, the amount that gets to the brain or the heart or the liver or the kidneys is vanishingly small. So it's 
very likely that there is a systemic effect of shining light on the body, that it's absorbed by elements in the blood circulation, and it's taken round the body where it can help all these distant organs. That's fascinating. So it's not necessarily that the light is penetrating to a depth where it would be able to reach the liver, the kidneys, the heart, but it's creating, you know, it's creating change on a systemic level in the skin, in the bloodstream, in, in the blood vessels that then can have sort of a, a downstream effect on these, on these and also distant the muscles, organs. You know, you've got a lot of muscles in your body and they're usually, you know, reasonably near the surface. So, you know, I think the skin and the blood is important. I think the muscles is, is quite important. And when we get on to talking about chromophores, you know, the muscles are very rich in chromophores, so they very likely play a major role. What are chromophores? Chromophores are molecules that absorb light. So as, as I said earlier on, when you do PDT, you have a synthetic chromophore that you've synthesized in the laboratory, and it's designed to absorb light and to do certain kinds of chemistry. But all now, is, it, is a chromophore a receptor? Uh, yeah, you can call it a photoreceptor. It's a perfectly valid term. It's not ideal because, you know, there are proper photoreceptors in the eye and in chloroplasts and plants. So some people like to say these are photoreceptors, which is okay. Um, but virtually everything living has chromophores that can absorb light. Um, and, you know, after... Many, many years of research, these are being identified, and some of the most important chromophores are in the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are the powerhouses of eukaryotic cells. They were originally thought to be bacteria back in the early days of evolution, and the idea was that a primitive cell engulfed a bacteria and found that it gave it such a survival advantage that it displaced all the other early cells that didn't have mitochondria. So now all the eukaryotic cells that are known have these mitochondria, and they produce the energy in the cell, denosine triphosphate, and they do lots of other things. They do lots of signaling. But they do have molecules which are deeply colored, called cytochromes and cytochrome C oxidase. And these molecules absorb light in the red and near infrared regions of the spectrum. Um, there are other important chromophores. Um, and what a lot of people will find strange is that water is a, an important biological chromophore. And you say, well, water's colorless. You look at a clear glass of water, it has no color at all. But it turns out that in the near-infrared regions, water can actually absorb light. And the important thing is that, that the water that's a good photobiomodulation chromophore is what we call nanostructured water. So this is sort of clusters of water molecules that occur on membranes where there's a hydrophilic, hydrophobic interface. And these can be cell membranes, they can be in the mitochondrial membranes, there are many membranes throughout tissue 
that have these nano-structured water clusters, and we believe that these are an important chromophore for longer wavelengths. So we're not, you know, some people say that red light is absorbed by water, but you know, if you look at water, it's not blue. So things that absorb red light are generally blue. But um, and then there are some other chromophores, some flavins, some uh, porphyrins. You know, so there's a bunch of chromophores, but the two really important ones, I think, are the mitochondria, the cytochrome C oxidase, and the nanostructured water. There's also a bunch of things called light-sensitive ion channels, and it turns out that these are probably involved in photobiomodulation. And you find these um, light-sensitive ion channels, and uh, they're calcium channels, so when you see changes in calcium, that probably comes about by these light-sensitive ion channels. I just think it's a, it's a mind-blowing concept that we could have sensors for light um, in places in our body other than our eyes. I mean, I think when most people think about light, they think about it as something that we perceive solely through, through our eyes. Yep. Um, so that yep. our skin and our muscles could be absorbing light uh, and that we would essentially be... I mean, it's not it's not something that we can sense. So, yeah, I just can. think that that's a concept that if you take an eight hundred and fifty nanometer LED, you can feel it. You feel the tingling in your skin. So, yes, you can sense it. That's very interesting. Um, so, what are are we like when we're exposed to the sun under everyday circumstances? Are we being photobiomodulated in Absolutely. those in Absolutely. those circumstances? Yeah, so as you probably know, more than 100 years ago, there was a big um, medical phenomenon for sort of heliotherapy, and they built clinics quite often in the mountains, and people flocked to these clinics to expose themselves to sunlight. Um, and it's an interesting question why exposing yourself to sunlight is much more medically beneficial at a high altitude. Um, you know, you can go and lie on the beach, and you know, provided you slather yourself with uh, UV um, sun cream, SPF 50 or something, you can lie on the beach all day without getting a sunburn, and you will absorb beneficial amounts of light. Uh, my theory for why light is more beneficial in the mountains is it's due to the lower oxygen tension. So when the oxygen in the air is thinner, the mitochondria take up a different phenotype, and the light absorption has more effect on the mitochondria when you're up in the mountains. But, you know, that's a theory. I'm not saying that's a proven fact. It's very interesting. Um... Are there different points in the day at which light, the, the light that comes from the sun, would have differential effects? Well, the, you know, the color changes somewhat. So in the early morning and the late evening, there's more red light in sunlight, and at midday, there's more blue light. And some people think that the red light is more beneficial. So if you're going to expose yourself to the sun, perhaps the early morning or the evening is the best time. 
Super, super interesting. So going back to to red light therapy, which obviously, you know, you are steeped in, um, there have been many clinical studies that support its efficacy and for, for a variety of, of indications. Uh, what can you tell us about what the research says um, currently about uh, red light therapy um, as a treatment modality and where do you see it going in the future? Yeah, well, you, know, you could talk for, for hours about this, but, uh, you know, initially, photobiomodulation was called low-level laser therapy because when they discovered it, they thought lasers were doing something magic. But uh, turned out that, you know, they're a, a useful way of getting monochromatic light and maybe you can get an intense spot that penetrates a bit better. But in actual fact, there's not much special about lasers, actually. So when they were first studied, they were used for wound healing, hair regrowth, and pain relief, basically, because they had lasers and they had to shine them on something. You could shine them on a wound, you could shine them on a painful area. Um, And, you know, uh, Andre Mester discovered you could regrow hair with them, so that was a popular application. Um, Hmm. So as as time has gone on, as I said earlier, it was realized that they had effects much deeper in the body than just shining them on the skin to heal a wound or shining them on the head to regrow hair. Um, It turns out that one of the big applications is the brain. Um, And you shine near-infrared light on the head, it treats all sorts of brain disorders. So we're talking about Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, um, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and then a lot of sudden events, you know, traumatic brain injury, you get a head injury or a stroke. And these sudden events can give you long-lasting brain damage for years and years. Um, The brain is actually quite good at repairing itself if you give it the right sort of stimulus to get going. And this photobiomodulation seems to act as a good kickstart to get the brain to repair itself. If you have a a chronic disorder like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, then you need to keep using the light. Although it will help the brain to repair itself, you've still got this chronic disorder that's going to carry on. So um, lots of other neurological problems. So because the nerves have lots of mitochondria, they're very good at at, uh, absorbing light. So lots of pain disorders, um, spinal cord injuries, all sorts of things where you want to affect how the nerves work, you know, nerve injuries, but a lot of pain. And so the effects on pain are partly due to the effects on the nerves, but also due to the effects on inflammation. So it turns out that photobiomodulation is very good at reducing inflammation. It switches the... Uh, monocyte macrophage phenotype to an anti-inflammatory one, so it changes all the cytokines that get produced. And these host immune cells are all linked together. So the anti-inflammatory effects is important. So whenever you uh, 
you know, you twist a joint or you have tendon injury and all these sort of chronic inflammatory conditions. It's pretty good. So another recent discovery that is going to be quite important is that the photobiomodulation can stimulate stem cells. So you have stem cells hmm. in your bone marrow, and when they absorb light, they get activated. And the bone marrow is called a hypoxic niche. Okay, There's very low oxygen in the bone marrow. But when, you, when these stem cells absorb light, again, it changes their mitochondrial metabolism, and they start requiring lots of oxygen. So they think, oh, I'm stuck in the bone marrow, and I need to get out and breathe some oxygen. So the stem cells come out of the bone marrow into the circulation, and then they're exposed to the cues from the injured area. So it might be a heart attack or a stroke or any sort of tissue injury. It's sending out signals to stem cells saying, come here and repair the damage. But by mobilizing the stem cells from the bone marrow, they can uh, get into the circulation and respond to these cues. And the light is able to penetrate to the, like down to the depth of the bone marrow? Well, some people think so. You see, what, what we don't really know for any of these organs is how much light you need. Okay, we know that the skin is pretty insensitive to light. As I say, you can go out in the sun, you can put huge amounts of light on the skin. But these internal cells, such as the heart, the brain, the nerves, the stem cells, they may be sensitive to very, very low amounts of light. And you know, when you do in vitro experiments in the laboratory, it, it suggests that this is the case. That some of these cells, the amount of light is a tiny fraction of the light you would need in a skin cell. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking about the brain, you know, it, it made me wonder, is is the light um, able to penetrate through the skull or is it having sort of a similar, you know, is its effect, the proposed effect on the brain also the result of like these downstream processes, you know? Yeah, that's, that's um, a very good question. The, the reduced... And, you know, a lot of people are interested in this. And the, the answer is it's probably a bit of all, everything, right? So undoubtedly some light gets through the hair, the scalp, and the skull and hits the surface of the brain. It's in humans about one one and a half percent, something like that, of the incident light gets to the surface of the brain. Um, however, you know, there's a lot of blood circulating in the scalp. And also there's bone marrow in the bones of the scalp, um, calvarial bone marrow. So when you put light on the head, some light might get in the brain, but some light will be absorbed in the circulating blood and some will get in the bone marrow. So we don't really know which are the important <laughs> bits of this light, probably all of them actually. Hmm. When you were when you mentioned that it was uh, initially it began to be studied for um, hair growth, that's super interesting. Is there a certain type of hair growth that it is best suited for? I mean, does it work 
for example, on uh, andro, you know, androgenic mm-hmm. alopecia, which is male pattern baldness. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like what types of hair loss might it might it work for? So what it does is it stimulates the stem cells and the hair follicles. All your hair follicles have got stem cells that move around to grow new hairs. Um, so if your hair follicles are not totally dead, then photobiomodulation will probably help. So whatever kind of baldness you have, and as you say, there's androgenetic alopecia, then there's um, alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune disease where the immune system attacks the hair follicles. And then there's chemotherapy-induced alopecia, where, again, you know, you have cancer treatment, all your hair falls out. So regardless of which kind of alopecia, the photobiomodulation will stimulate the stem cells in the hair follicle, provided there's some there. Okay. So if you, you're a man and you have a shiny, bald head, photobiomodulation is not going to bring back these follicles from the dead. So the, the, the time to start the photobiomodulation is when you notice your hair is thinning, or if you're going to have cancer therapy, you should start it even before you have the cancer therapy as a sort of prophylactic thing. Hey guys, I just want to share a clothing brand that I discovered recently that I am totally in love with. The brand is called Viore, and I first discovered them because my friends at Mind Pump were huge fans of the brand. Viore makes incredibly attractive activewear that is versatile, comfortable, designed to look great in everyday life outside of the gym, but also perfect for any workout. And one article that they make in particular that they sent me are the men's banks short, which is, you guys, this is the coolest thing. They are made from recycled plastic bottles. It's just the dopest thing. So I feel really good about wearing them because I feel like I'm doing something good for the environment. Uh, but I could wear them to the gym and then I can spend the rest of the day in them, which is just, you know, badass. If you want to check out anything that Viore um, produces, uh, which I recommend that you do, they are offering an exclusive discount to Genius Life listeners, 20% off of your first purchase. All you got to do to get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet is go to vioriclothing.com slash max. Now listen, to spell Viori, it's V-U-O-R-I clothing dot com slash max and not only will you receive 20 percent off of your first purchase but you'll get to enjoy free shipping on any u.s order over 75 dollars and free return so again that's viori clothing v-u-o-r-i clothing.com slash max and discover the magical versatility of fury clothing now back to the show with dr hamblin um a lot of people have been talking about red light therapy in the context of skin health uh you mentioned wound healing um a lot of people have uh you know there's there's a lot of talk about uh photobiomodulation and its ability to um induce collagen synthesis what can you tell me about that yeah so you know a lot of people like to use photobiomodulation for skin health skin rejuvenation wrinkle reduction blah 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 personally i don't think this is the most important application for reasons I just said that skin cells generally are colorless. If you grow them in a dish, they don't have any color, so they don't absorb light very well. But having said that, you know, all tissue does respond to light. And because one of the effects of light is to make cells do more of what they're designed to do. So your fibroblasts are designed to make collagen. 
And if you stimulate them with light, they'll likely make some more collagen. So you can improve fine lines and wrinkles. Firstly, I don't think it's a major transformation. You know, I've seen before and after pictures, and okay, the skin looks a bit better, but I wouldn't say it's like a major application. Got it. I mean, it seems to do so many good things at at once, though. I mean, you know, to to be able to expose yourself to these wavelengths of light and you know, the potential of boosting collagen synthesis, the potential of, you know, improving hair growth and things like that. I mean, would you put red light therapy up there with, say, you know, exercise and healthy diet in terms of its importance to to good health? Yeah, I think it's, it combines very well with exercise, Um, especially because a lot of people are interested in weight loss. And if you just try using light therapy alone to lose weight, it's probably not going to work. In fact, we did an animal study, and the rats that got a high-fat diet plus photobiomodulation actually gained more weight than just the high-fat diet alone. So it stimulated weight gain. But if they did high-fat diet exercise and photobiomodulation, then they lost more weight with the addition of the light. So the light stimulates whatever process is going on. If you're doing exercise, it stimulates the weight loss. Um, I don't think that they're sort of redundant mechanisms. You know, the mechanisms are related, but if you do both together, it'll work better than doing either separately. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, So... You know, one of the uh, aside from the re- the the light that we get from the sun, many people are now familiar with these devices. I have become friendly with uh, the company Juve, and they've been gracious enough to give me a device. So I have a device that I've gotten for free um, in my house, and uh, and I, I genuinely, I mean, I feel good after I use it. Um, what types of light? Uh, does a device like the Juve emit, and is that sufficient to stimulate these processes that, yeah, um, that sure. we've I mean, already I mean, the discussed? Juve is quite a decent powered device. Um, what you want to realize is because most people don't have a power meter in their house, so they have to take you know the company's word on what the power of the device is. And the Juve device is actually quite a decent power. So it's a mixture of red and near infrared, which I think the whole industry has settled on being the best. So it's something like 660 nanometers and 850 nanometers. And these seem to work better together than, again, using them separately. Um, you know, the idea is to use it regularly. You can put it anywhere on the body, including directly into the eyes, and photobiomodulation is actually good for your eyesight. You know, so as, as I get older, I think my eyesight's not what it used to be, so I shine some 850 nanometer light into my eyes, and it's, it's not dazzling bright. This is just the near-infrared, so it doesn't dazzle you. Yeah, there was actually a recent study that came out that found that uh, that that uh, wavelength of light actually was potentially useful um, in terms of improving age-related uh, vision decline. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's really cool to see to see that just came out, right? Yeah, there's a company called uh, Lumithera, which is developing this device, and it's going to be an office-based light source for ophthalmologists. So it's like a slit lamp. You sit right up and shine it into your eyes, and it's probably the only real treatment for dry AMD. There are antibody treatments for wet AMD, but dry AMD photobiomodulation is probably the only treatment that works yeah it was a small it was a, it was a very small study but it was it was uh very interesting it found that three minutes of red light therapy a day for two weeks significantly significantly restored eyesight uh including the ability to de- detect colors and light in people over the age of 40 they didn't really see much of an effect in younger people but it's just interesting to to note that for people with aging eyes that this could be a really uh, potentially useful intervention yeah and in fact, Lumithera got approval from the European uh, Medicines Agency to market it. So presumably they will roll it out in due course. Well, yeah. So, you know, given, given everything that you know about the power of light to modulate our health, what do you think about the fact that, you know, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, we now spend 93% of our time indoors. And when we're, when we do, you know, indoors and when we do venture out, we're fully clothed. So do you think that this, uh, the, the fact that we're all collectively, you know, relatively deprived of, of light, you know, the vast majority of us, of us don't have these, these Juve devices. Could you say that, you know, that, that that's possibly one of the defining features of modern life that is predisposing us all to uh, ill health? You know, yeah. you, you look statistically and you see people around the world are, are just, you know, struggling with their health. Could could the yeah. could the the relative lack of light be a, a potential cause of that? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right. You know, and thing is, with natural sunlight, you've got to be careful because, if you know, if you get addicted to sunbathing, it's probably going to destroy your skin. You know, and there's, you see people with photo aid skin because they've literally spent decades lying in the sun without using any sunblock. So that's the one proviso. But having said that, I think, you know, exposing yourself to natural sunlight is clearly good for you. As I said, better if you do it up in the mountains than on the beach, but, you know, it depends where you live. Right. Um, but, you know, we touched earlier on the, t- on the differences in the wavelengths, you know, provided, uh, di- the differences in wavelengths over various points in the day. Um, in midday, there's a lot more blue light and that's also when the UV index tends to be highest. Um, and you know, we know that ultra, you know, UVB rays, UVA rays, they're important, um, you know, to some degree to generate vitamin D. But would you say that um, to get these more uh, sort of reddish uh, wavelengths, it's it's also important to prioritize being outside in the sun, um, you know, when the sun is sort of setting and it's the the wavelengths emitted are more um, in that in that sort of red uh, neighborhood yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, that's the logical uh, conclusion. That the uh, the ultraviolet and the blue, although it does have biological effects, you can probably have too much of it. You can certainly have too much UV for sure. And you know, blue light again, 
you want to be careful. It does have biological effects, but you can overdo it. it I think it's difficult to overdo red or near infrared, actually. Yeah, I think it's just if people, people have so- busy lives, and it may be easier for them to have something like a juve panel that they can use for 15 minutes whenever they like, rather than scheduling going out lying in the sun in the evening yeah yeah of course so what then if if people do uh go out and pick up these panels what is the is there like a a prescription for general health uh that you might be able to offer in terms of how one you know uses these devices yeah well it depends on the size of the device um you know, what they say is hang it on the back of the door and stand in front of it. But, you know, I've never done that. I think that's a bit bizarre. So something like a juve panel is sturdy enough as you can put it on the bed and just lie on it. Um, more light goes into the body if the skin is touching the surface of the panel, for sure, because you don't get diffuse reflection. Um, yeah, so about 15 minutes lying on this panel, um, which part of the body depends what you're worried about. I mean, if you if you have a sore bit, then obviously you put that bit in the center of the panel. Um, put your head on it because I'm very keen on the effects on the brain. But, you know, the muscles are one of the big absorbers of light. And a lot of people that use these are athletes. They want to increase their performance and this sort of thing. So put it on the big muscles a lot of people in the wellness space that have access to these lights uh they're big on the pro-hormone benefits uh or the purported pro-hormone benefits of it you know for example its ability to boost testosterone which i know that they've shown in rats uh and to do this i believe you have to shine that you have to get the light on your gonads is that is that correct it makes sense to me i mean uh uh, and uh, as you say, I think this is more something which is anecdotal. I don't think there's been any scientific studies, but you know, it makes sense. Uh, the fact that photobiomodulation stimulates virtually everything, I suspect it can stimulate um, testosterone production. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that, that would be a really easy way to do that, especially because I, f- I think that there's a, we're, we're seeing a bit of a testosterone crisis today. Um, and man, you see ads on, on television, at least in the States, I don't know about where, where you are in Scotland, but, um, it would see, it's seemingly a big problem. Um, a lot of men are experiencing low T, um, especially as they age. So to, to have a safe and potentially effective, uh, you know, intervention like red light photobiomodulation that, um, you know, that, uh, that's a very exciting prospect. Yeah, I, I don't um, think it's, it's a big topic in the uk but um yeah i'm, I'm, I'm sure that photobiomodulation can be helpful i mean a, another interesting issue that's coming up is fertility so you know if you have fertility problems whether that's the man or the woman there is some idea that you can boost fertility with photobiomodulation that's so cool um are there Optimal treatment uh, times of the day, say you have one of these devices, um, you know, would, for example, exposing your eyes to this powerful red light emitted by one of these devices perturb your circadian rhythm, for example? 
Well, I mean, there is some studies that say that red light at bedtime helps you sleep. And certainly near infrared, which probably, you know, because it's not visible, probably doesn't trigger the uh, intrinsically sensitive retinal ganglion cells, but increases melatonin, mm. red light. That's being shown. So you can either put it, it increases in your, melatonin. Put it in your eyes to increase melatonin, or put it on your head, which I think is a different mechanism. So both will help you sleep. Wow, that's super cool. I think the mechanism is different. Wow, very interesting. Anything that helps to boost melatonin, I think that that's a good thing, provided what we know about how powerful an antioxidant um, melatonin is. I mean, if you want to have light um, in the morning, you, you, I think you would tend to have shorter wavelength light, which will sort of wake you up and get you going. But, you know, it just depends on your daily schedule, I guess. I mean, I tend to use it in the morning pretty much. <laughs> I use it, I mean, I tend to use it in the afternoon. To me, it's just very soothing. It's a soothing experience. It feels good to use it in the afternoon. In the in the mornings, I tend to go outside and uh, and really enjoy the, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, the shorter wavelength, like blue, the blue light, um, you know, that's when I'm, I'm trying to get as much vi- vitamin D in as I can. Uh, but yeah, it's good to know that it doesn't, it doesn't make a major difference, but that, that it may boost melatonin. I think that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, so what, what questions do you think, uh, remain to be answered by science? I mean, where do you see the science of photobiomodulation heading? I mean, what are, what are some, you know, questions that you have that you'd like to see answered by research? I think what we have to do is convince the mainstream medical community that this is a real thing and not a bunch of snake oil and alternative complementary gobbledygook. Um, you know, because we've made big step forward in understanding the cellular and molecular mechanisms and the chromophores and all this stuff. But even so, you know, the, the mainstream medical community is very conservative and they're very loath to be seen to adopt something that's sort of is sort of wacky and crazy stuff. They just don't want to be made to look foolish. I think that's the main thing that's inhibiting them. Yeah, so as time goes by, we get more peer-reviewed, placebo-controlled clinical trials, and there there are dozens and dozens of them already, but they don't tend to get published in the top medical journals, so a lot of these folks never see them. That's so unfortunate. I mean, you yourself have published over 300 peer-reviewed articles, so I mean, you're, you're definitely... Uh, doing your part you know I, I wish more people would take notice of your work yeah quite so and, uh, yeah to some degree while the big um explosion in home use um photobiomodulation devices like juve panels but there are dozens and dozens other devices you can buy on the internet while that's a good thing it doesn't really help the mainstream medical community sees hold of it because, you know, you're not going to get drug companies really taking up 
better by modulation devices because they can't see a route to making a profit. You know, you sell a device, okay, it's a few hundred dollars or something, but it's going to last for years. I mean, you know, the drug companies like a recurring prescription of pills. That's their ideal thing that hopefully cost an arm and a leg. So, you know, there's only been a few cases. Like I said, Lumithera, which is going to have a device approved for use for in ophthalmologist offices, they'll probably make a lot of money because, you know, every ophthalmologist will have to have one. And that was also the previous company, Phototherapy, which had a device for stroke. Now, their trial failed, which was unfortunate because they envisaged having a device in every emergency room as the, as the uh, gold standard treatment for acute stroke. It's still maybe, um, you know, when, they, when you look at the trial data, it didn't fail abysmally. There was a lot of evidence that it actually worked, but turned out not to meet the uh, predetermined endpoints. So these are the exceptions because it costs a lot of money to do large clinical trials and, you know, hospitals and mainstream doctors will not take up something unless it's passed all these hurdles and got regulatory approval, FDA, EMA, what have you. Yeah, I mean, but the irony is that this is, I mean, it's obviously a safe technology. Well, absolutely. Um, Safe. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's safe. You know, and even if you pay $1,000 for a, a big juve panel, it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, pharmaceutical monotherapy, they, you know, the, these drugs, you know, what we understand about them, they tend to target singular biological pathways or chemicals or, you know, uh, something, something like light similar to exercise or eating a healthy diet. Um, it really strengthens the entirety of the system via myriad pathways. Um, as you mentioned, you know, whether it's the anti-inflammatory effect or the mitochondrial, you know, supporting effect. Um, that's why I think a technology like this, if it, if it, if it works, it's so exciting because you're killing multiple birds with one stone, you know, just by getting outside, you know, at the appropriate hours and spending time, you know, with maybe less clothing on, uh, with your skin exposed to the sun or standing for a few minutes a day in front of, you know, one of these light panels. Yeah. It's very exciting. Um, well, we're just about out of time. Is there anything that you'd like to add, uh, that I haven't asked you? Um, you know, like I feel it's, to, to have a luminary, no pun intended, such as yourself on the show, uh, it's a great, it's, 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 it's a great honor. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just so much there. If, you know, is there anything that, that we haven't yet discussed that you'd like my audience to know about the power of red light therapy? Yeah. I think I just, that one of the areas that I'm most keen on promoting is the effect on the brain because as people get older, everybody's worried about their brain function, right? You know, in the old days you used to worry about getting cancer or having a heart attack, but now you worry about dementia and Alzheimer's and all this stuff. And 
putting near-infrared light on your head is probably the best single thing you can do to preserve your brain function. That's an incredible claim. I mean, you know, one of the earliest features uh, in the brain that seems to predate the presentation of uh, symptoms of dementia by decades is mitochondrial dysfunction. So if you're saying that that, that that red light can boost mitochondrial function in the brain, um, you know, years, decades before uh, things really start to go south, that's a, that's a very exciting prospect. Yep. Absolutely. Can you can you can you share anything about um about like what what is the evidence there? I mean, have have they done clinical trials? Have they done uh you know, have they looked at brain energy metabolism um before and after, you know, the use of of these red light devices? Yeah, they're starting to do that. They're starting to do some some fMRI studies, functional magnetic resonance imaging, which is the, the classic neuroimaging technique. The other thing they're starting to do is quantitative EEG. So they cover the head with electrodes and see the changes in the EEG signaling. Um, so, the, you know, there's, a, there's several groups around the world working on this now. Um, and they are starting to do objective methods because historically you know a lot of this psychiatric psychology stuff has been questionnaires and people don't put too much store in questionnaires right although i think they're useful uh, especially for you know cognitive functioning which is basically doing puzzles of one sort or another (laughs) so that is measurable but yes people do like to see objective neuroimaging studies yeah and there and there have been and there have been some performed so we what what can we say that the red light seems to boost energy production in the brain blood flow uh what 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 exactly have they seen and yeah they've seen uh, blood flow and areas of the brain get activated one study we did in China showed that these were healthy volunteers. It didn't make the much better at doing the cognitive task, but they could do the cognitive task with much less requirement for blood flow. So the title of the paper was that photobiomodulation makes an arduous cognitive task easier. Wow, that's very interesting. And these were these were the population was what young, healthy, healthy people. I think they were fairly young. Yeah, wow. yeah, I think that's so. That's exciting. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for for chatting with me. Um, you know, all the way in in Scotland. I'm. Uh, it, it's it's so cool to um to be able to do this over such a long distance. If uh, my listeners have any sort of you know, additional questions, or if they wanted to to check out more of your work, do you have a website, or are you on social media, perhaps? Well, yeah, you, you type my name into Google, you'll find links all <laughs> over the place. I'm not, I'm not difficult to get hold of. <laughs> Love that. Um, well, Doctor Hamblin, the last question that everybody gets asked who's on my show, uh, it's a bit more of a philosophical question. What does it mean to you to live a genius life? Take take that wherever you'd like. 
uh, okay, uh, I don't know what it means at all. I mean, you know, you'll do whatever you, you're sort of good at doing, you like doing. You know, I write a lot of papers. You said 300. It's actually over 600. Over actually. 600. And 25 textbooks. Oh, it's, oh yeah. man. That's so cool. You can't bootstrap it. It's over a thousand. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so I spend a lot of my time writing and editing and doing this stuff. But yeah, I enjoy doing it. I love it. Do you, uh, and I'm assuming you have a, ju- you have a Juve device in your house. You have to, right? You're on the advisory board for the company. Yeah, I have a Juve device. Yeah, I can't say I use it regularly. I, I, device I use it regularly is one I put on my head and another device to shine in my eyes. But I do have a Juve panel. Wow. It's great. Well, you and me both. Uh, thank you, Dr. Hamblin, for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, to everybody out there listening. All right. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I appreciate your time and attention. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace, guys. Peace.